This podium is amazing. So um, two quick things here. Speaking about this, now I'm a little nervous. Yeah, we're, it's rock solid. We're good. Well, why would I ever be hesitant to think that? A um, couple of quick things I did give Steve a hard time about. Um, I did not do what I was originally intending to do, and that is he made the mistake of telling me a couple of weeks ago when we got to see him that uh, the last person that was coming um, didn't show up until uh, right at, uh, I think, the time they were supposed to come teach. And they're from Chattanooga, so I know who they are, actually. And um, I almost texted him this morning and said, dude, I, I mean, is that 10.55 my time or is that 10.55 your time? Just to <laughs> harass him. But I, I figure he had to teach this morning, so I did not do that to him. But I did take a picture behind this, somebody with my two thumbs up, because underneath this is crates. I had a whole design up here of clips that were holding on something. I don't even know what it was. I'm on here. So two thumbs up to that. And I sent him a text saying, I'm not good enough to use your podium. I was really offended by, by that. I mean... <laughs> I realize he's an amazing teacher, um, and I get that, but I mean, I thought maybe I could at least use his podium. We've had like 40 years of friendship here. <laughs> Only kidding. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Mickey. I've been coming down here for, I don't know, almost as long as the church has been here. And uh, this time, I brought all of my family. Got my amazing wife, Kristen, who's right here. Got to bring my dad, right? Um, my mom took off to the beach, so my dad's with us uh, today. And my oldest son, Bing, that I've told you all about, he just graduated. My second son, Davey, who are both taller than me. He's a rising junior. My oldest daughter, Emmy, is a rising freshman. Then our rising second grader, Charlie, yes, she's the only one smiling at me um, right now of, of all of them, okay? I uh, love them all. They're amazing. They are truly our gifts from the Lord, and we are thankful. I'm very thankful they could be here um, today. Vereens, y'all know this whole crew right here. Y'all know them. All right. You're not Vereens. Sorry. You know who I'm talking about. Sorry, my apologies there. Well, today I, I laugh a little bit because today what we're talking about it, it's it's a pretty heavy topic. Um, suffering for Christ is worth it. Is the is what we're going to talk about today, and in that it's uh, let me let me set this up. Our church has been studying through the book of Acts. And so in that, I've been studying through the book of Acts, teaching here and there through the book of Acts. We've just gone through chapter 4. And so today, that's what we're going to, or I'm going to teach about, is Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And what I don't know what you know and don't know about the um, book of Acts. Really, the book of Acts is just a continuation of the Gospels. It's the history of us, of believers, of the church right now um, in this day and age. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. When I talk about this aspect of suffering for Christ, let me, let me just clarify right out of the gate what I'm talking about. There's many aspects of suffering, right? What I'm talking about today is specifically suffering or being persecuted for the sake of being a Christian, right? For the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, for living the Christ life. That's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I've, you could be in a car wreck, hurt your back, and you could suffer as a result of that. I get that. That's, but that's not specifically what I'm talking about today. I'm talking specifically about suffering for the sake of of being a Christian, suffering for the sake of Christ, sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? So when we talk about suffering, that's the, the element that I'm talking about as I go through this um, today. And like I said, we'll start in Acts chapter 4, and we'll roll through verses 1 through 12. But first, I was curious about this aspect of believers and, and suffering and persecution. So did a little bit of research. And what are we in 2022? So 2023, last year, right? <clears throat> These are some pretty recent stats. Roughly 300 million Christians around the world experienced what they even what this this group entitled significant persecution. So that's more than me just you know giving you a hard time like verbally right for being a Christian. So 300 million Christians, almost 300 million Christians, experienced that. 
So in that number, almost 6,000 believers worldwide died for the sake of Christ. All right? So another 6,000 were either detained or imprisoned specifically for the sake of Christ. Um, 4,000 were kidnapped. And, and some of those, they're not sure what happened to them for the sake of Christ. And then 5,000, so look at the physical building, 5,000 places of worship were destroyed. And thus, that affected hundreds of thousands of believers, simply all for being Christians, just for the sake of Christ, right? And so again, that's the element when we talk about suffering day, that's what we're talking about, right? And it doesn't have to be those illustrations. Those are always the most um, extreme aspects of suffering, but let's, let's bring it to us in America, because truthfully, we don't necessarily experience those aspects. It's very rare that we do. But let's, let's make up a scenario here. And it may not be too far-fetched in the, in the days and years ahead. Who knows? But let's say tomorrow, right, our government passes a law that it's a felony to share the gospel with anyone. It's a felony to talk about Jesus to anybody. Let me ask this. How do you think you'd respond to that? Think about that for a second. How do you think you'd respond? Let's say if you did, you did that, the penalty of that was you'd be thrown in prison for that. Well, that's the exact scenario that we're getting into as we start Acts chapter 4 today. It's exactly what happened to Peter and John, the two guys that we're going to look at today. But before we get to chapter 4, it's interesting, chapter 4 is a continuation of a story that started in Acts chapter 3. So let me set that up for you real quick. Okay? The book of Acts, I told you, it's a continuation of the Gospels. Jesus told the disciples, right, go wait for the Holy Spirit. This is all very quick paraphrase of me. You go study the first three chapters. Um, and they're waiting, Holy Spirit comes upon them. Acts chapter 2, they get the Holy Spirit. They're out and, and go out and start doing these signs, go out and start sharing the Gospel. Acts chapter 3, here's where our story starts. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, let's say I'm walking up to the temple, right? Peter and John are walking up to the temple. There's a lame man. He hasn't been able to walk since birth. He's there, and he's been there for years, and he asked them for money, right? And, and, and that's, where he, that's really the whole life of this, of this guy, this lame man, is that's all he does. He asks for money because that's all he can do. In John chapter th or sorry, Acts chapter 3, um, verse 6 says this. Here's where really the story starts. Peter looks at the guy and says this, I do not possess silver or gold. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ Nazarene, walk. And boom, there's the story that starts. Guy gets up, he walks, he's praising the Lord. All these people are gathering because it's a day of worship. So all these people that have seen this guy really forever in his whole life, sitting there asking them for money, they recognize the guy can now walk because they recognize the guy. All these people start to crowd around Peter and John. And they're trying to figure out how this happened. Peter and John tell them what's by the power of Jesus. And Peter and John use this then as an example or an opportunity, I'll say, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, people start getting saved. So much so that chapter 3, verses 18 19, here's just a, a snippet of what Peter and John are sharing. It says, Peter says this, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, all the prophets that his Christ, that's Jesus, um, would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be washed away, in order that times of refreshing may come upon you from the presence of our Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. You see what he's doing? This guy's been saved, this crowd gathers, so he goes out and he's sharing the gospel as a result of this. So much so that he continues to do it all the way to the very last verse. 
right? The verse right before where we're going to start, chapter 3, verse 26, he's still talking about it. He says, For you first, the Jews, God raised up his servant Jesus and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Now, the cool part about these chapters is there were no chapters. So this story would have just flowed from chapter 3 right into chapter 4 because we added chapter breaks and verses later, right? So this story would have just flowed as one continual story. All right, so where we're going to pick up is Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm going to read the first 12 verses here in a second, but get the scenario. This guy's just been healed. Crowds have gathered. All right, Peter and John are sharing the gospel and follow me now. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. It says this, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Verse 5, On the next day the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we're on trial today for a benefit done to the sick man, as to how this man was made well, let it be made known to all of you, and to all of Israel, and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you here today in good health. For he, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For no other name, other, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. So really, we're just going to look at three elements of this passage today. Right? We're not going to look at every single verse in great, great detail, but three things out of it. Why did Peter and John suffer? Why they suffer? And how they responded to the suffering. Why they suffered, what they suffered, and how did they respond to that suffering? First, let's look at the first one, the why aspect of this. Why did they suffer? Well, again, remember the story, okay? They've healed this guy, all right? They're out sharing the gospel. And then look at verses, um, verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 4. Why did Peter and John suffer? Here we go. Look at those verses again. As they were speaking, right? So there, there's an aspect of both of them speaking at some point. As they were speaking to the people, the priest... The captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. Now, get a picture of this. Guy's been healed, crowd, they're sharing the gospel, big crowd around them. These three people come up to him. First and foremost, you have the priests. They're the upper echelon of the Jewish people. Right? They're kind of the high, almost the highest rank. The chief priest is the highest ranking official of the Jewish people. So these priests that are there right at the Temple Mount area, there's multiple of them. They're high ranking officials. Captain of the, um, what does it say, captain of the temple guard the temple had its own police force, and there was a captain of that police force. He was the second highest ranking official, only underneath the high priest. So, major guy. And then finally, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the wealthy upper class that were highly religious people, but who rejected any aspect of resurrection from the dead. They believed that when you died, you died. That was it. Okay? So, these are high ranking officials. They come up to Peter and John. Look what happens. All right? As they were speaking, these three groups come up to them. Look at verse 2. And being greatly disturbed. Now, that phrase, greatly disturbed, really it means to be greatly annoyed. So they're annoyed. These groups of people, these high-ranking officials that come up, they're greatly annoyed at what Peter and John are doing. Well, 
let's see what they're doing. Really, there's two elements as to why these people are going to be so annoyed at Peter and John. Look at the first one in verse 2. All right, these three groups come up being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people. Now, there's the first element. Go back to chapter 3, and let's see what it is that Peter and John are teaching these people. If you go back just one chapter, chapter 3, let's look at, uh, let's go up to verse 11. All right, chapter 3, and let's look at verse 11. It says this, While he, the guy that was just healed, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon. That's just one of the areas of the Temple Mount. Full of amazement. Of course, they're going to be amazed. They know this guy's been there lame since birth, and now he's healed. Verse 12. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if it were by our own power or that we made this man walk? Come down to verse 16. On the basis of, and on the basis of faith in his name, Jesus, right, is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. They knew this man. And the faith which comes through him has given him, this man, this perfect health in the presence of you all. What are Peter and John teaching? They're teaching that this work that has happened for this lame man to be healed has happened not as a result of them, like they had any power to do that. That is the power of who? Of Jesus that's done this. And remember the setting of this. Not too long ago, right, Jesus was crucified and rose and appeared to over 500 people. So now these guys are out teaching that it's Jesus and by his power that this man has risen or has risen to his feet, not from the grave, has risen to his feet from being lame his entire life. Now just think about it. If you're the crowd, you've seen this guy here forever, like literally forever. He's, since birth, he's been lame. And you are going to be amazed, right, that you now see this guy leaping up and walking and talking to everybody. And Peter and John, I mean, easily, hey, yeah, we did this. I'd like some money for that, right? They could have taken the credit for it. They didn't. All the credit goes to God. That's what they're teaching the people. That's what's annoying these three high-ranking officials, these groups of people, the Sadducees, the, the temple, the captain guard, right, and then the priest. That's one. That's the first thing that's annoying them. But keep going here. Come back to chapter 4. Let's look at the second thing that's annoying them. Let's go back to chapter 4. Let's look at verse 2 again. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people. We saw what they're teaching. They're teaching that Jesus healed this man. And look at the second one. They're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, let's go back to chapter 3. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. I didn't read those because I'm going to, to focus on what it is that they're talking about with this aspect of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. Come back to verses 14 and 15. All right? Again, Jesus talking, or Peter talking to the crowd. But you disowned, let me go back to 13 actually, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our fathers, all the Jewish people would have known those names, okay, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, whom he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. Look at verse 15. But, but put to death the prince of peace, the one whom God, what? Raised from the dead, a fact of which we are witnesses. You see what they're proclaiming? They're proclaiming that Jesus Christ, that, again, let's imagine you're the Jewish people, and he's telling me that you put to death, now he's not necessarily saying every single Jewish person, right? But a lot of those people that would have been there, right? 
that had gathered, some of those people would have been actually in the crowds shouting crucify to Jesus, or crucify Jesus to Pilate and others, right? Because those are the high-ranking officials that were there. So why are these officials so annoyed at Peter and John? Not only are they teaching that Jesus raised this guy from the dead, but they're going a step beyond that and teaching that, yes, you're the one that crucified Jesus, but Jesus had been raised from the dead. In a second, we're going to see the effect that that's having on all these people, this, this huge crowd where thousands of people are believing it. What are they doing? They're simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're taking the opportunity, this great opportunity, this man's been raised from being able to walk again, and this crowd coming up to where now they're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this crowd. And as a result of that, it greatly annoys the religious leaders of that day. Now, it's interesting to me, a couple things. These groups of men that came up to them, um, the religious leaders, they didn't come up to him because they were amazed that, oh man, this guy's walking. They would have known this guy as well. He's at the temple. They're all around the temple. Guy's been there his whole life. They would have known this guy. They don't come up because they're amazed by that. It amazes me too that Peter and John, they don't catch a hard time from the drunks or the prostitutes or the atheists that are there maybe. All the, the sinners. Who are they catching a hard time from? The religious elite of their time. Are times so different in the day and age that we live in? Pretty amazing thing in which to think about here. Why'd they suffer? Simply for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because in a second we're going to see the suffering. But don't miss the fact that the reason that they're suffering is pretty simple. It's because, yes, this guy got healed. But as a result of that, they take the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with thousands of people. And that annoys these religious leaders. Think about it. The Sadducees, they reject any aspect of the resurrection. That aspect of them talking that Jesus, yes, that you killed, that God raised from the dead, that would have absolutely annoyed them. The priests, this would have blown away their whole religious order that they had for the Jewish religious order. It greatly annoys them. That's why they're going to suffer, for simply sharing the gospel. Let's pause and bring this to us. You know, I, I think about this, and as I was processing this with God over the last, really, month or so, I told you we'd be able to teach through this, and I had a lot of time to think through it. What about us? First, do we even share the gospel? Do we look for those times to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim what Jesus has done for the world, but also what he's done in our own life with other people? Again, I told you, I laughed earlier. These are pretty serious um, questions for all of us. In Scripture, it's told to us very clearly as believers we're to make disciples. You're going to see in a second Acts chapter 1 that we're told to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus. And I started to process a little more. You think about it. If Peter and John would have just healed this guy and either taken the credit or just like, I, I, I don't know what happened. I, mean, it just, I guess he just got healed. And they stopped short of telling anybody about Jesus. I bet they would have been celebrated by everybody. Think about it. It's really the time whenever we do something that God tells us to that would be deemed good. And then we go out and we tell people, here's why I did that. It's because Jesus told me to. And use an opportunity to share the gospel. That Christians are going to catch a hard time. So that made me process this a little bit more of, 
And when I do something that God tells me to do that might be deemed good by the world, do I just stop there? Or do I use that and see that as an avenue and a platform to tell people about Jesus? It's really to tell them why I'm doing that. It's one thing to do it, right? Whatever he tells us to. It's another thing to see that as an opportunity to go out and share the gospel with it. A lot of times I might be hesitant to do that. What about you? Very clear, the why here. Why are these guys annoyed? Tells us right here in Scripture. What they're teaching is that Jesus rose this guy from the dead, and what they're proclaiming is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That he, you killed him, right, the Jews, but God rose him from the dead, and they share the gospel as a result of that. That's why there's the suffering that we're about to see. As we go into that suffering, process that a little bit. Are we even willing to take that step to share the gospel, to do what God's told us to do there? Well, let's look at the what now. Okay, there, there's the why. All right, let's transfer over here to the what aspect of this. Go to chapter 4, verse 3 now. Okay? I'll go back to verses 1 and 2. It says this, as they were speaking, right? Priest, captain of the temple guard, Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Here's the what in verse 3. But they laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Look at the what, verse 3. And they laid hands on them. So remember, these three groups were coming up, and they lay hands on them. And in Scripture, there are a couple of avenues when it talks about having hands laid on you. One is a very good thing, right? Um, you may have seen this in your church or other churches. Uh, there are um, aspects of... All right, we're going to send, we feel like this person in our body has been called to go out and be a missionary, tell people about Jesus. We're going to bring them up. We're going to pray for them. We're going to lay hands on them, right? You see that in Scripture as well. When actually Stephen and I together got ordained at Woodland Park Baptist Church on the same day, and what they did, they brought us up because they agreed with the calling that we were going to go out and serve in the ministry. They agreed with that calling. They brought us up. They laid hands on us, and they prayed for us. That is not what we're talking about here, of this aspect of laying hands on them. Okay, let's get that clear out of the gate. This actually can be translated that they gruffly, I don't have a better word, that's kind of what was used in my dictionary there, they gruffly came up, or roughly came up, grabbed these guys, and hauled them off to prison. That's the avenue. Now you think about that. There's thousands of people around. How do we know that? Because at the end of the verse it says at least 5,000 men were saved. Right? 5,000 believe. So there's many more than that that are there. And so these people are so annoyed at what Peter and John are doing that they come up and they gruffly grab them, put their hands on them, and do what? What does it say? They haul them off to prison, and they're going to stay there until the next day. Now, what would have happened is they would have gone straight to court. We'll get to that in just a second. But court had already adjourned for the day, for it was already evening, so they put them in jail until the next day. Now, it's interesting, as I was thinking through this. Look what Peter and John have done. Just review with me. They're walking to the temple. Guy asks them for money. I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. This guy gets healed. Great thing. These people gather. Thousands of people start gathering to see what's happened. They take an opportunity to tell people the gospel message of Jesus Christ, right? That's a great thing. Thousands of people believe. That's an awesome thing. And then what's their reward? They are roughly hauled off to prison and thrown in jail where they're going to wait a trial that we're going to see about in a second. 
Just think truthfully. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem right? Um, one of our pastors, Eddie Rasnick, and he and I were chatting through this, and, and here's a quote. It says this. Well, let me, let, me, let me go and say it. Certainly, persecution is not something that we seek out. There should be nothing in our manner that intentionally offends. And pause there. In the manner of Peter and John, there's nothing in their manner that intentionally offends anyone here, right? But they still suffer as a result of it. And a passage came straight to my mind as we were processing this. is 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's verse 12, and here's what it says. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Many times that's taken out of context, but here it's very appropriate because these guys are being persecuted for Christ. Indeed, 2 Peter, or sorry, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live godly, not might be, will be persecuted. So really, as I think about it, take the question that I was asking, is this right? Is this? And let's throw that out the window for a minute. It doesn't matter. As a believer, as someone who's a Christian and is living the Christ life that God tells me to live, I should expect that I'm going to suffer and experience persecution on some level in my life. Why? Because look what God tells us right there in 2 Timothy. We were processing this more, and here's a quote that Eddie gave me. It said this, um, Paul writes in, in Romans, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then Eddie chimed in and was saying this, and we should seek to get along with everybody. Nobody is desiring to go out and seek persecution. Okay? But if Jesus himself was persecuted to the point of death, then why, and, and if I'm identifying with Christ or I'm taking his name, why would I expect to escape the same fate? Think about that for a minute. He went on to say this, Truth offends non-believers because it makes demands on them. It doesn't leave them alone. It forces them to face those things they would like to avoid. And when it does, sometimes they react badly. If possible, be at peace, but recognize that won't always be possible. And I love this quote. We should never accept peace that requires sacrificing truth. Isn't that what Peter and John are doing? By our worldly standard, they've done nothing that would warrant them getting thrown in jail. All they've done is great stuff. They were, I mean, Jesus, right, used them. They healed this guy. These people gathered. They told them the truth and offered them the best news these people will ever hear in their lifetime. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thousands of people believe it. But leaders get offended, get annoyed, roughly haul them off, throw them in prison. And I don't see anywhere, as I'm studying this, Peter and John getting offended. It's almost like Peter and John knew this was going to happen. It's almost like Peter and John knew all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, that got me to thinking about us, Christians in America, particularly, right, because that's where obviously I live. If that were me, right, I told you the illustration we were going to use a little bit. If it were the law tomorrow that... If we shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and spoke about him, we'd be 
hauled off and put in jail. Let's say I did that, right? Let's say I, I still went tomorrow and I shared the gospel. Somebody told on me, the police came or hauling me off to throw me in prison. How would I respond? And this is this is the uh, America American part of me that thought about this. Would I go there demanding my rights? That's not right. You can't do that to me. I'm an American citizen. Would I, would I say, that's not fair. You can't do that to me. Or would I cower down in fear from these men to where I was absolutely useless to anything? Those are all real examples I was processing in my brain. Like, what would I do? Because I've been raised right here in America. Isn't it, isn't it almost one of our first instincts to say, you, can't, you have no right to do that to me? Well, look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13, 14, 17. You can turn there or not. I'm going to read them. Here's what Peter says. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. There's a perspective. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled, but sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always, look at it, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. That's Jesus. Verse 17, for, it's better, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right than for what is wrong. Church, you realize we should expect that we're going to suffer. We should expect that we're going to be given a hard time for being a believer. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We happen to live in America where that's not as prevalent as some of those stats I was reading earlier, right? But in my lifetime, I'll be 50 in about a month, right? So there's my lifetime. I have seen that swing mightily to where there are Christians being persecuted for being Christians and for some decisions they make right here in America. And we're slow to that because all the stats I read you mostly are outside of America, right? For Christians, 6,000 last year, that's just the number they know of, lost their life simply for being a Christian. That's real. That's happening. There's more persecution now than there was during this time for Peter and John. We just happen to be in a place where we don't see it quite as prevalent as that. But if or when we do experience it, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? Well, that's kind of the, the third point. Let's see how Peter and John respond. You see the why. They're annoying these religious leaders by out sharing the gospel. You see what? They're roughly grabbed and hauled off and thrown to prison to where they're going to spend the night for the purpose of coming the next day for a trial and that's exactly what we're about to read. Let's look at verses 5 through 12 and see how Peter and John respond in the midst of their hour of suffering here. Pick up in, in verse 5 of, of chapter 4. All right, so they're in prison, right? They're hauled off, thrown there. On the next day, the rulers, elders, scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, Alexander, and all who, all who were of high priestly descent. When they place them in the center, they begin to inquire. Now, here's the situation. There's about up to 71 people. When it says the center, like, I don't know how far I can walk. Can I walk out here a little bit? Let's say I'm literally in the center of all of you, and your chairs are turned kind of in a semicircle where you can see the person in the middle. 
That's called their Sanhedrin. That's essentially their Supreme Court, their Senate, and their Congress all rolled into one. That's their high court, and that's where they bring Peter and John. Forget the lower courts. They bring them directly to the high court of this Sanhedrin. And he gives you some illustrations. There's the high priestly, those who have been high priests in the past, those who currently are, and all the examples of the other people. They bring them out, set them in the center, and now all these people can question them. Set up to 71, depends on if they were all there uh, or not. And that's where they have to get an account for what it is they do. Because look at, look at the question this Sanhedrin is really asking them. Go to verse 7. When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Done what? Well, the healing of this guy, right? That's what led to all of this. By what power and what name have you done this? Now check the response out. It's really going to hit in verses 10, 11, and 12, but check out the response. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, kind of repeating their question, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man was made well, look at it in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you, that's the, the Supreme Court, High Court, Sanhedrin there, and to all the people of Israel, let's just go ahead and cover everybody at that point, all right? that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Then verse 11, they kind of drive this home with an Old Testament reference that all those people there in that court would have understood. He, Jesus, is the stone which is rejected by you, the builders, which became the chief cornerstone. Again, a direct reference to the Old Testament about the Messiah that was coming. He's saying Jesus is the one who fulfilled that to all these people. And in verse 12, and there's salvation in no one else. Let's go ahead and just drive that point home to all these guys. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men of which we must be saved. Did you see that response? How they respond for getting thrown in prison for sharing the gospel is to go out and share the gospel even more boldly with the people who threw them in prison. Did you catch that? Mind-blowing to think about that. Again, I ask myself the question, and I ask all, what would you have done? I can't help but think, would I have been caught up in demanding my rights? Did I miss the opportunity to share the gospel? I mean, they go straight to it. They don't, it, it almost cracks me up on some level. They're not just kind of nicely working up to it. And then, oh, by the way, this is because of Jesus. Like, look at some of the stuff they say again. It's Jesus Christ the Nazarene, direct, test, direct, direct reference back to the Old Testament reference again, that you, the Jewish people, and Really, that Sanhedrin was responsible that you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands before you in good health. Wow. These are the same people that threw him in prison. And for the same reason that they were thrown in prison, what do they do? They come right back and share the gospel even more boldly. That blows my mind. In a, in a great way, in a very good way. And I started thinking about this. Why did they do this? Why in the world would they do this? Well, don't miss it. It's verse 12. Let me read it again. 
and there is salvation in no one else. Hear that again. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Did you see that? That answers everything. Why would these men who were just thrown in prison for out healing this guy and sharing the gospel be willing to turn right around and share the gospel with the people who threw him in prison? Because they understand verse 12 very clearly that there is salvation in no one else and nothing's going to stop them from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You catch that? Man, that's mind-blowing. You know, imagine if I brought up Peter and John right here and said, hey guys, you know, good to see y'all. Glad you're here today. Um, let, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Do you guys regret, you know, sharing the gospel? Because y'all were, man, these guys came up and roughly hauled you off through you in prison. You had to stay there for the night and then you had to stand up before the whole Supreme Court. Do you guys regret that? Do you guys regret sharing the gospel? I imagine before I even finish the sentence, they're going to say, absolutely not. Look what happened. Thousands of people believed. Thousands of people believed. What we know about Peter and John is that Peter's going to die for Christ, and uh, John later in his life is going to be persecuted even more severely for Christ. They never recant that. And you might be sitting here thinking this morning, well, because my next question is, what about us, right? What would we do? And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I, I, this is Peter and John, right? They're the super Christians. I, I, I don't have to do that. That's not me. I want to take you back just a few months in the life of these guys. Just a few months. Most scholars believe it's anywhere from three to six months ago of the passage I'm going to read you just as a way of reminder, particularly about one of these guys. Luke chapter 21 is where we're going to go back to. Oh, sorry. Yeah, let's start with Luke 21, then I'll get to 22. Luke 21, okay? Jesus been talking to these two guys and all the other guys, all the disciples, telling them about what's going to happen in the end times. And then he comes and talks to them about what's going to happen right before all that stuff. Luke chapter 21, I'm going to pick up in verse 12. Luke 21, 12. Jesus talking to him, to, to, the, to the 12. But before the, but, but, if I can say it, but before all these things in verse 12, they, these leaders, will lay their hands on you. Interesting reference there. And will persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and what? Prisons. Bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It's almost like Jesus foresaw this was going to happen and tells them exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And Peter and John would have been right there. So verse 12 is an exact prediction, prophecy of what we're looking at in, in Acts 4. But look what he says in verse 13. It's a love. It will lead, as they're hauled off and thrown in prison, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, you call on me, I'll come down and rescue you. Jesus doesn't say, I'm so sorry, guys, this is going to happen to you. I'm so sorry. Look what he says. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Almost like these guys knew this. And they took that opportunity. Look at verse 14. Whew. Even more mind-blowing, especially, I think, for, for Americans. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. What? Not only does Jesus not apologize and say, I am so sorry, this is going to happen. 
here's what you need to do. Call this number. I'll be right there. I'll rescue you. I'll take care of you. He tells them, see it as an opportunity to share your testimony and not defend yourself. Because look what he says um, in the next verse, verse 15. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. On my own, I could never do this. I could never respond like this. With this, absolutely. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Now, in between this and Acts chapter 4, let's remind ourselves one thing about Peter real quick. Flip over to Acts chapter 22 and pick up in verse 54. Again, roughly three to six months before this, probably. This is the story of Peter, who is sharing the gospel amongst all this Sanhedrin, being persecuted. But let me remind you what he was doing a few months before this. Verse 54, or Luke 22. All right. Having arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following in a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. A servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looked intently at him and said, This man, Peter, was with Jesus too. Verse 57, look. But he, Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I don't, I don't know him. A little while later, another saw him, Peter, and said, You're one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. Verse 59. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man was with him too. For he's a Galilean. Look at Peter's response now. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crows. You guys know that story, right? That's about three to six months, roughly, before Peter is boldly share, first healing this guy, sharing the gospel, thrown off in jail, comes right back, shares the gospel even more boldly with the Supreme Court. What in the world has changed in his life? Well, you may have missed it. Let's go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 8. It actually happened in Acts chapter 2, but look at verse 8. Right there, Acts 4, 8, very first part. Then Peter, what does it say next? Filled with who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is living inside of Peter. And so that erases any question. We might say, well, that's the super Christians. They, that's them. That's not us. I, I mean, can I really do that? Yes, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and elsewhere in Scripture, at the point of our salvation, who comes to live inside of us? The Holy Spirit of God. The same Holy Spirit that was in Peter and John as they're sharing the gospel. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus has said, go wait here. Holy Spirit's coming. And in Acts chapter 2, he comes. And he indwells every believer now. The same Holy Spirit. Absolutely, we have the strength, the wisdom, and the ability. If I am walking in the Spirit, we, I assume Stephen's taught you guys about the Christ life, right? I've, of it's not I, but Christ. That's what we're talking about. I'm walking daily in a surrendered life to Christ to where I'm going to be willing to share the gospel with whoever he tells me to, and whatever suffering may come my way, I'm going to endure that. By no means am I saying that's easy. By no means am I saying I'm out looking for suffering. Yes, I want to go suffer. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's possible. That this is not just some foreign example. These are two believers like we're believers today. They have the same Holy Spirit that we have. Guys, that Jesus had already told them that we now get to see, you know what? These things are going to happen. 
And when I do seize an opportunity to share the testimony of Jesus. And they do that. So I ask, I think, is that the way I view my life? Is the opportunity to share the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is the only good in my life. These people in this row can tell you lots of bad in my life. I feel quite certain, right? But the only good in my life is a result of what Jesus has done. It's by the Holy Spirit of God that I can come here and, and stand and, and teach today. This is one of my biggest fears when I was their age. Now I love it. Think about it from the aspect of suffering. We will suffer for being a Christian. But we see that as an opportunity to share the, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back, Acts chapter 1. I'll close with this passage. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Really, this story is just Peter and John living out Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look what it says. But you, the, the, that was the disciples, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. 2,000 years later, that's us. That's us. At the end of the day, that's the job of every believer, right? Is to be his witness, to make disciples, it says at the end of Matthew. We have the same call for us, and we have the same absolute ability to live out that call because the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. As I was closing, I was thinking through some questions. Again, that main idea, suffering for the kingdom of God, suffering for Christ is worth it. First, is that my mindset? If or when I have to suffer, I've already made up my mind now that I'm going to see as an opportunity to share the gospel. Some questions that, as the pastors and I were talking uh, that came to our mind was this. You know, could it be that I'm not experiencing much suffering in my life because I'm very silent towards sharing the gospel with people? And these are hard questions. I'm not pointing any finger at anybody. You know, is it worth it to you and to me to share the gospel for the potential of people getting saved compared to losing maybe some of my own personal comforts? Or losing some of my personal freedoms if it comes to that, right? And I love I loved this question. It's made me think a lot. What would hinder you from responding the way in which Peter and John did before the council? What would it take? And then finally, what would it take to keep you quiet from sharing the gospel? I hope that answer is death, right? But process that some. Again, it, it's sure, I, I give it to all of us. It's maybe a little harder to process through this because I'm not one of those 6,000 people who was in danger of losing their life last year, at least that I know of. I was a high school principal. I'm sure there are many people who don't like me um, as a result of that. Right? Um, but in all seriousness, I, that I know of, that wasn't me. Right? The, the building that we have, your building here, I don't think they're in danger of being destroyed right, for the sake of Christ. But still, could it be that I'm not experiencing much suffering because I'm not out sharing the gospel? Just think about it. I, I, I don't know. And again, hear me say, I know nobody in here is out looking to suffer. I get that. Uh, and, and Scripture's not talking about that. He just tells us, here's what's going to happen. Be willing to do what it is I tell you to do. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. 
Am I looking for avenues to share the gospel? And if or when we do suffer, it's okay. It's okay. And I get it's easy to say that right now. But it is okay. Endure it. Endure it. Look at the example of Peter and John. And what's interesting is we're now, I think, in Acts chapter 8, maybe going in chapter 9 today. There's more and more of these examples in, in Acts, in the book of Acts. More and more believers lose their life. Eleven of the twelve disciples lose their life for Christ. All twelve are persecuted. You're, you're going to see shortly after this chapter that the church has to scatter out of Jerusalem because of persecution. But what's cool is that you see it when Jesus tells them, go be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Samaria, which is right next to it, right? Or Judea and Samaria, that Jesus uses the persecution to drive them out to go be his witnesses outside the city of Jerusalem and outside of Judea. Pretty cool. And here we are 2,000 years later, still sharing the same gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Church, I love you. Suffering for the kingdom of God is absolutely worth it. How do we know that? Because where are Peter and John today? They were Christ today. And they will be for all of eternity. That's what the rest of Scripture talks about as well. Let me pray for us. Lord, I know this is not an easy topic. It hasn't been easy for me to study it. And, but I pray for every single one of us in here. Every single... First, I pray if there's anyone here who's not a believer, that you do what you have to in their life today to bring them to the point of salvation. Lord, that's what I would pray first and foremost. And Father, for believers in this room, I pray that we would see this, Ill, see this, Ill, see this example, if I can say it, this illustration that you give us in Scripture of, of this historical fact, a story of what happened to Peter and John. And we wouldn't just see as, ah, woe, woe to them, I'm so sorry for them, but we would see this as maybe an example for us for if or when we do suffer. Let us be men and women who are daily surrendered to your Holy Spirit where we walk in your spirit to where we are willing to share your gospel if and when and whenever it is you tell us to, that we will be your witnesses anywhere and everywhere. And if we catch a hard time for it, let us see that as an opportunity to share your gospel even more. Love this church. I pray you'll continue to do amazing and wonderful things and that you will continually sound forth this gospel message, Father, from this church and from these believers. And we do pray that you would just use Steve again today in a great way uh, to teach your word to those students and ask it all in the name of Jesus.